0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemuorg slash connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Rick. The Bible says, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 143. Four thousand of all the tribes of Israel. Everybody say 144,000. Everybody say 144,000. Yeah, now fast forward to chapter 14 and listen to this. I saw it. It took my breath away. The lamb, that is Jesus, standing on Mount Zion. And 144,000, what's the next word? Yeah, standing there with him, his name and the name of his father inscribed on their foreheads. Everybody stop right there, grab a seat. And I want to set things up today by, by sharing this with you. My childhood was lived out mostly in the 1960s. Now, if you know anything about the decade of the 60s, you know it was a decade marked by traumatic, traumatizing moments. For example, there was the traumatic assassination of the President of the United States, saw it on TV, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated, traumatically. Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated traumatically. So the 60s were, were, were marked by these traumatic moments in time. But folks, if there was a traumatic season of time that defined the 1960s, it would be the Vietnam War. That war dominated the 1960s from start to finish through that entire decade, and it did so in a traumatizing way. Because it touched nearly every neighborhood. Because all of these kids were being called up to go fight in that war. For example, in in my little neighborhood alone, I just recall every kid who turned 18 and graduated from high school, they just disappeared. They were just gone from our neighborhood. Why? Because they had gone to fight in that war in Vietnam. Now, I want you to stay with me because I knew some of those kids. I was younger. I was 12 and 13, but I knew some of those 18-year-olds. And check this out. I knew them before Vietnam, and I knew them after Vietnam. Put another way, I knew what they were like pre-Vietnam, and I knew what they were like post-Vietnam. Vietnam, And let me tell you, some of them, the trauma traumatized them to the point that they came home with post-trauma stress disorder. In other words, pre-trauma, they were whole. Post-trauma, they were broken. P- pre-trauma, they were happy. Post-trauma, they were troubled. Pre-trauma, they were healthy post the trauma of Vietnam. Many of them became addicts to drugs. Many of them became alcoholics. And many of them even became homeless post-trauma effect. But folks, check this out. I knew a lot of kids who also went through that same trauma could describe the same bloodshed, the same battles, and and they came through it basically with no aftermath. In other words, they were not broken by that trauma. They were not traumatized by that trauma. In fact, a lot of them went on to live very normal lives. And so I was thinking this week, how can two people go through the same almost exact trauma but have post-traumatic responses that are completely different. You know, one is broken, the other's unbroken. One is traumatized, the other's untraumatized. One is conquered by the trauma, the other conquers the trauma. Now, stay with me because I don't have to tell you that trauma is a part of life, isn't it? It's a part of the human factor. We all will experience trauma. But I also don't have to tell you there, there are different levels of trauma, aren't, they? aren't there? You know, there's the, what I might call the level one traumas that, that we face regularly, you know, financial traumas, relational traumas. But then there are what I would call great tribulation. I mean, great traumas in life. Like the trauma of being sent into war. The trauma of losing an arm, a leg in that war. The trauma of facing a disease like cancer. The the trauma of being abused by a, a parent or being abused by a spouse. The trauma of having a child with cancer. The trauma of losing a child to cancer. In other words, there's traumas and then there are great traumas in life. But here's my point. We all have post-trauma responses, whether it is level one trauma or whether it's the great traumas of life. We all have post-trauma responses. And some people respond to trauma with you know, just disorder. <laughs> By the way, let me say this. Anybody who went and fought in any war, thank God. However you came through it, we thank God, amen? I wanna be clear on that. You fought, and we're thankful for it. But I'm just saying, you know, some respond with with disorder to trauma. Some respond better than that. But here's my proposition. This is what I want us to walk out the door with. Since we all are going to face trauma in our lives, level one and great trauma, why not come through that trauma still standing which is exactly what God wants for you. You see, Satan wants your trauma to traumatize you. God wants your trauma to build you. Satan wants your traumas to break you. God wants your traumas to make you better. Satan wants your traumas traumas to conquer you. God wants you to conquer your traumas in life. You say, well, Rick, how, you don't know what, and some of you are going, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the great traumas. <laughs> some of you are going, I'm in the level one traumas. You know, how do I conquer these traumas? We're going to find out today as we look at 144,000 Israeli Christians who will eventually, at some point in the future, go through the greatest trauma the world has ever known. And we're going to learn from them. So with that in mind, how many of you have your listening guides? Wave those in the air. Yeah, if you're new with us today, we'd like to take notes. This is one. We're all going to face trauma, so this is one you're going to want to fill in the blanks and have this ready to grab when it comes up. So here we go. Two thoughts about trauma. Big number one, some Christians are called to face great trauma. Some Christians are called by God to face great trauma. You say, Rick, why would God call us to face trauma? We're going to find out. So let's let's move ahead in chapter 7 a little bit so I can just sort of set the parameters of this this message. Chapter 7, verse 14 says this. These are they who have come out of the, what's the next two words? Say it like you mean it. Yeah, these are those who have come out of great tribulation. Now, stop right there. Because that phrase, great tribulation, is a translation of two Greek words, megaphylipsis. I always tell you, your Bible originally written, Koine Greek, in the New Testament, translated, English, Spanish, French, whatever. That phrase, great tribulation, two Greek words, megaphylipsis. Everybody say mega. Everybody say thalipsis. Everybody say "megathalipsis." Here's what it means: "mega" obviously means great. <laughs> "Thalipsis" means tribulation, or more explicitly, trauma—the kind of trauma that is shock. In it has shock to it, and folks, the point is: this world is destined for a future three and a half year period of time that will be a trauma that will be a shock to this earth the likes of which the earth has never seen before jesus described it like this in matthew 24 he said for then shall be great what yeah tribulation how great such as was not since the beginning of the world To this time, no, nor ever shall be. Get it, folks? It is going to be a war between two worlds. It'll be a war between the world of God and the forces of Satan. The weaponization of God and the weaponization of Satan, and it will be the conflict of the ages. But don't miss this. This is what I want us to understand. There are 144,000. Israeli Christians, listen to this, who are going to be chosen by God to go through that great trauma, the great tribulation. Now, I want you to put your thinking caps on because that period begins in chapter 6, verse 12, the great tribulation. You can think about it like this. Chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 11 is the tribulation. We've talked about it. It's just, it's just a world without God, and it gets crazy. That's the tribulation. It'll be three and a half years. The beginning of chapter 6, verse 12, we now enter into the future great tribulation, another three and a half years of great trauma. Here's what it'll, it will look like. Listen to verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. It's not like a regional earthquake. It means the earth itself shook the whole planet. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens, that is the galactics, receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. We went over this the last time. If you weren't here last week, you need to get this because it will, it will reinforce your faith in the scientific accuracy of the Bible. Please, go back, listen to it, it's line. But watch this, verse, thir- verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rock. They start crying out to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, kill us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Who is that? That's God, chapter 4, read it. And from the wrath of the Lamb, who is that? Jesus Christ, read it, chapter 5, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? You say, Rick, what the heck is that? Listen, it's not what the just what the hell is it, it's what the heaven is it. Because what you have here is heaven and hell engaging in the conflict of the ages. This is God attacking Satan on the earth with the goal of taking back this planet so that there will be no more sorrow and no more pain and no more suffering and no more war and no more hatred and all the stuff. God wants to take this world Back to the way it was in Genesis 1 and 2, when he created it in perfection. But it will be the conflict of the ages as God, in verse 12, begins to unleash his arsenal and Satan unleashes his. But folks, check this out. Just as God begins to unleash all of his wrath in chapter 6, all of a sudden, in chapter 7, he hits the pause button. He's, he's like he calls time out, time out, hold it. You get the idea. Look at verse seven or chapter seven, verse one. Watch this. After this, after what? After God launches his wrath against Satan and all of this trauma begins to hit the earth. after this, watch this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, that means north, south, east, and west, holding back. The four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land and on the sea or any tree. In other words, God commands these four angels to restrain, to hold back his wrath. It's almost like, it's very explicit in the Greek, it's like they're struggling to stop it. God has has unleashed his wrath, but all of a sudden he says to these four angels, I've already let my wrath go, but I need you to hold it back for a moment. Why? Look at verse 2. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given, given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until, until what? Until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. everybody heads up. Because just as God unleashes the full fury of his wrath on the earth against Satan... Just as he does that, all of a sudden God hits the pause button. And God tells these angels, hold it, hold it, hold back my wrath because I've got to do something. I've got to seal 144,000 Israeli Christians. Why? Because they're about to go through this great trauma. (laughs) Now, mind you, these 144,000 will be the only Christians who enter into the great tribulation. All other Christians will be evacuated before it starts. More on that at a later time. For now, as this war starts in chapter 6, and God unleashes his wrath against Satan, and as you see it, Satan unleashes his wrath against God, these 144,000 Christians are about to get caught in the crosshairs of God's wrath and Satan's wrath. They're about to get caught in the middle of all of that trauma. So, God wants to mark them before they go into that trauma. You say, why? Because it's going to be great trauma. Like the world has never seen. In fact, let me, let me read chapter 8 for you. Because the great tribulation picks back up after God seals them in chapter 8. I want you to get an idea of how traumatic this future time is going to be. It starts up again in chapter 8. I want to read to you beginning in verse 7 just to give you an idea. And by the way, it starts up again in chapter 8 and it goes chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way to chapter 18 where Christ returns in chapter 19. So 13 chapters of great trauma. Let me give you a taste of it in verse 7, chapter 8. The first angel sounded his trumpet. These are the trumpet judgments which are eventually followed by the bold judgments as God just dumps out his wrath on Satan. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet. And something like a huge mountain All ablaze was thrown into the sea. This is an asteroid or a planetoid thrown into the waters. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa! Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Again, folks, this will be trauma on this earth like the earth has never known before. It will be the forces of God weaponized God's angels against the forces of Satan, his angels weaponized. It'll be a trauma like the world has never seen before. But don't miss this, this is what I want you to get. These 144,000 Christians are going to have to go through those years of trauma. But you see, here's the point it raises a question why them? Why do they have to go through it? Why is everybody else pulled out of the way? And why does God say, you're going through it? And not only that, what is the point? What is the purpose of putting them in the midst of this trauma? Why would God do do that to them? What's the objective? What's the mission? What's the purpose? In fact, it's sort of the questions we ask God sometimes when we're going through trauma, don't we? In fact, write the question down as A and B. Why does God call us to go through great traumas? I mean, you know, you know, maybe you're like that. You're saying, God, why me? You know, why are you, why are you seem to not have all of my neighbors? God, I've served you faithfully. God, I've been, I've been a follower. I've, I've loved you. So God, why are you choosing me to go? Why am I losing my job? Why is my business? God, why do I have cancer? God, why do I, why, why is my child sick? God, why are you making me go through this trauma? And what's the point? What's the mission, God? What's the objective? What's the cause? God, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I tell you what, hold on to that thought. And let's fast forward, grab a couple of pages, and go over to chapter 14. Because I think we get the the answer to the why question. Why do you go through trauma? Write this down as B. Those who stand through great trauma are trophies of God. Now, let's fast forward. These guys start, these 144,000, let's go over to chapter 14. Now, before I read these pages of chapter 14, let me tell you, by the time we get through, we've gone through chapter 7 all the way through chapter 14, you need to know the tribulation will be, it'll be coming to an end. It will have raged on this earth for three and a half years, and Christ is about to make his descent back to the earth to recapture this earth for us. But watch what happens. Here's what I love. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 14. I saw it. It took my breath away. The lamb, that is Christ, standing on Mount Zion... And 144,000, say it with me, standing there with him. Everybody heads up. Picture These 144,000 enter into this great trauma in chapter 6. And they go through this trauma for three and a half years. And three and a half years later, what is so spectacular about them is we find them still standing. And not only standing, standing with Christ. You say meaning what? Meaning when a lesser Christian would have been broken, they were unbroken. Meaning when a lesser Christian would have been traumatized, they were untraumatized by it. Meaning when a a, a lesser Christian would have been conquered by the trauma, these 144,000, there's nobody in history like these people. They not only are not conquered by the trauma, as we might expect, they conquer the trauma. In fact, they are more, they will be more than conquerors because not only are they still standing, that's one thing, we survived, but they're standing with Jesus. In other words, in spite of the fact that some of the trauma that they were enduring was coming from the wrath of God, yes, some of it was from Satan, but they were getting there they will get caught in the crosshairs of that that wrath and that judgment, but in spite of that, they don 't defect <laughs> they don 't say hey god we 've had enough of this we can 't believe you put us in the middle of this we 're out of here we 're not following you anymore no after three and a half years of the greatest trauma, any human being will ever Endure, they're not only still standing, they're standing with Christ. Everybody lean in. Because there's no apparent reason why these 144,000 are chosen to go through this great trauma. I mean, there there, there seems to be no mission. You know, some people will say, oh, they lead a great revival. There's no evidence of a revival. In fact, everybody on the earth has sent strong delusion. (laughs) There's no evidence of that. So so the only reason apparently that they are sent into this great trauma is to end up standing through the trauma and standing with Christ. In other words, this world is going to be so dark. This will be the darkest history in mankind's history ever. And sin will prevail and godlessness will prevail. But God will want to show the world what a true Christian looks like. and These 144,000 will be standing there like a trophy for God. You know, I was thinking back this week when a great hurricane hit this city back in 1992. How many of you were here for that? Yeah, it was called what? Andrew. And every house in Miami, had to go through that trauma of that storm. But you know the story. Some houses were ill-equipped to withstand that storm, storm, and some of them were destroyed by it. They were wrecked. They were traumatized by the trauma of that storm. However, there were some houses that went through that storm, and they stood there strong. They came through it and they were like a trophy to the builder. The builder would be like, check out my house. <laughs> look, at my, look at all these other houses, but check out my house. My houses stand through the storm. Listen, what an image of you and me. When we go through the trauma and we're not destroyed by it, when we go through the trauma and we don't defect from God and say, I've had enough, but we remain standing. Jesus is like, check out my people. Check out my followers. They endure. They stand. Check out Blackwood. You know he has been through some traumatic times trying to get Christ Fellowship poised to be a church. He has gone through, and he's still standing. He got hit with a with a heart attack, crushed his heart, but he's still standing. He got hit with stage three colon cancer, but but he's still standing. (laughs) By the way, I just got a report this week that my heart has improved 20%. Very unusual. I think, which is where all this energy is coming from. But listen, listen, listen. For you, your spouse left you, but God says, look, you're still standing. You lost your job, but God says, look, you're still standing. God says, you know, you're, you've been abused by, by your parents or abused by someone, but you're, you're still standing. God says, you got, you've got stage three, you've got stage four colon cancer, or whatever cancer, breast cancer, but you're still standing. And God says, you are a trophy for him. You see, folks, why do we go through turbulent times? Sometimes you need to know God doesn't cause it. God doesn't say, I'm just gonna hit you today. But since you, it's going to come, it's a part of life, God says, I want you to stand through it like a trophy, a trophy of your commitment to me so that we say no matter what comes, I'm not leaving God. You remember Job? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. My Lord knows the way for me. When everybody around Job said, Job, why don't you commit suicide and curse God before you do it? Job said, I will not sin against God with my lips. I will not walk away with God. I don't care if he kills me. I trust what he's doing. He knows the way for me. That's what God loves. When we trust him, no matter what comes. And listen. Here is what reinforces us to stand. i got to hurry. Write this down as number two. God has placed his seal in you. God has placed his seal in you. Listen to chapter 7, verse 1, backing up to the beginning of the tribulation. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Again, God just begins to unleash his wrath against Satan, and then all of a sudden he says to these angels, hold it, stop my wrath, hold it back. I've got these 144,000. They're going to go through this trauma that's coming, and I've got to do something for them before they face that trauma. And what does he do for them? Verse 2, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal, a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. It's amazing. God commands these angels to hold back his wrath until he can put his seal on the foreheads of his 144,000 servants. Again, that I heard the number of those who were sealed. Everybody heads up. Because the word seal there is a translation of the Greek word spragidzo. And spragidzo is a word that means a seal of authority. I'm supposed to have a dollar bill with me up here today, but I forgot it. So anybody got a dollar bill, a one? Put it up on the screen. There is a one dollar bill. You got one, Tony? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Let's come in close on this one. If you look on the back of a dollar bill, it says, I tell you what, let's just leave that one up there. The Great Seal, give me the next one. This is my fault. The other side of the seal says of the United States of America. You say meaning what? Meaning this legal tender bears the seal of the highest power in the country, literally the government of the United States of America. That means this is the property of this country, and this seal proves that. Listen, just like that, before these 144,000 enter into this great trauma, God puts his seal on their forehead. It's not the seal of the United States of America. It is the seal of the name of Jesus Christ, and it is the name of the living God, Yahweh, is put on their forehead. Why? It is there to protect them. It is there to serve as a sign to the angels, to watch over them as they go through this trauma. Now, folks, with that in mind, write this down as A, God sealed you with his presence. I'm going to keep this dollar, okay? I'm going to need it for the next services. (laughs) Ephesians 1, listen to this. Listen listen to what he did for you. When you believed, all right, this is every Christian in here. When you believed, you were marked in him with a, a seal. Spaginzo, same word, and what is the seal? The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Listen, listen, every every Christian heads up. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, it was like God said, okay, hit the pause button. Before you go on and face the traumas that are coming into your life, God says, I need to mark you. I need to put my seal not on you, but I need to put it in you. Not on your forehead, but as close as God could put the seal, He put it within your soul. And the seal is not a name, it is the Holy Spirit. People say, What's the Holy Spirit? All kinds of debates, you know. It's this. Simply put, the Holy Spirit's the presence of God. In other words, God didn't mark you with a name. He didn't mark you with a number. God put himself inside of you. In other words, you are sealed with God's presence. You have been sealed with God's favor on you. You have been sealed with God's love on you. You have been sealed with God's compassion and his wisdom. All of that seals you. And here's why you need that seal. Write this down as B. God seals you to encourage you to stand you see, God knows you are going to face great traumas. And trauma has a way of discouraging us, doesn't it? And when you get discouraged, you lose the courage. You lose the stamina to keep standing from God. You kind of just want to collapse. So God puts his very presence and favor in you to brace you in the trauma. You know, I was thinking back this week if you look at houses that withstand hurricanes, you have to look in the secret places. You have to look at the soul of the house. You have to go up into the trusts. You have to go up into the the cross members of the house. And there, houses that stand under great trauma have hurricane straps. They have Hurricane screws, not just common nails. They have hurricane material to hold them together, whereas a regular house has none of that. And when the storm comes, it just gets rocking and rolling and eventually flies to pieces and is destroyed. You see, God has braced you with, your holy, with his Holy Spirit so that as you face trauma, you're not blown about and destroyed. No matter how tough the trauma gets, God has put that in you to encourage you to stand. You want to know why you're able to stand? Some of your friends look at you and say, how can you stand this? How can you stand what you're going through? The way you are able to withstand it and to remain standing is because you have been braced from the inside. Not with a number, not even with a name of God, but with God himself. And I want you to get one more thought. (laughs) Write this down as big as as C, and then I'm going to close. God seals you to inspire you to follow. Listen to verse 4. At the end of the great tribulation, it says of the 144,000, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Listen, that's God's great goal for your life is that as you face trauma is that you will remain standing and not only standing standing by him, standing by your faith and still following him. In other words, when you when you are going through trauma, here's what the Holy Spirit inspires you to do. Keep walking, keep following. Somebody has said when you're when you're going through hell, keep going. Right? Think about it. When you feel like you're going through hell, keep what? Going. Keep following Christ. And he puts his Holy Spirit in there to, to, to inspire you. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop in the middle of this trauma. Keep following. I want to close with this. When I was in high school, I started my freshman year, I started in track and I started running the relays with the younger kids. The short, distance relay races where you hand off the baton. So you run 100 yards and you hand the baton. But by the time I hit 10th grade, it wasn't fast enough. So I couldn't make the team. So I thought, well, you know what? I, I've seen them run the two-mile deal. And it's nothing like running as fast as you can. To me, it looks like they're just trotting. And I thought, well, I can do that. I can trot. And so I practiced a little bit, and, and I entered the race for the two-mile. And, folks, I had never run it with a real team, you know, against competition. And so we lined up, and these guys nearly knocked me down when they took off. And I realized they're, they're not trotting. They're, they're running. And so I start running, you know, as fast as I can. And all of a sudden, about a mile into it, I'm thinking, wow, this... This is going to be hard to make this. I mean, everybody's left me. I'm, I'm, I'm the, you ever seen the race where the guy's the last guy? I'm that. They're, they're way ahead of me. And I'm thinking, I just want to get, I just want to finish. And so I'm, I'm coming around basically for the last lap, and two of my buddies are standing in the infield, Mike Durwin and Johnny Swartz, great athletes. They've come to watch me. And they're standing right there in the infield, and I go by them, and I hear Mike Durwin say to Johnny Swartz as I go by, "I don't think he's going to make it." And I remember thinking, "I don't think I'm going to make it." It just took the wind out of me, but check this out, just as I turned that corner and was about to just collapse, Coach Jenkins, Jenkins, my, my coach. He's leaning out, and he's, everybody's finished, and he goes, "Blackwood! Great stride. Keep going, keep going. And I remember I go like this, I go. You know, and then I hear a coach go, great stride. And I thought, I do have a great stride. I do. <laughs> and, and I finished the race. Listen, I think God wants me to give you a word today. you got a great stride. Don't stop. Don't listen to Satan. Keep following and keep standing. Well, let me pray for all of us. And then I'm going to ask our pastors to come forward. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much. For the promised Holy Spirit who indwells every one of us God you didn't seal us with a number you didn't even seal us with a name you sealed us with you and you have braced us to keep us strong when the winds are howling when the hurricanes are blowing God we thank you for that thank you for sealing us God, I pray over every person at Christ Fellowship, over every campus. God, especially for those who are going through traumas and great traumas. God, that they will not listen to the voices of Satan, to the voices of people who would would discourage them, but that they would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart who is saying, keep going, keep going. Lord, I speak for all of us. We love you so much. Thank you for the way you love us. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come forward now. Christ Fellowship, I love you all. God bless you. If you want to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know at cfmemi.org connect and filling out a connection card. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We love you and God bless.